One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How's it feeling, Abby? We've it's not tried on our burgers yet. It's excellent, thank you. It's um, <laughs> enhanced by um, this spectacle, which I'm very much enjoying. Quite playing really well. Yeah, we are playing well. Hello, it's Tuesday 17th of December. I'm Andy Brassel, she's Jules Breach, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. This week we'll be speaking about, what else will we be speaking about? We're speaking about the A23 derby of last night between Crystal Palace and Brighton, which had Jules on the very edge of her seat. We'll also be talking later on about declining TV audiences and could this mean any changes for the games? And of course, we'll be digging into your lovely correspondence as we always are. And you can always get at us on at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble, and Jules and Andy at FootballRambleDaily.com. You know, Jules, at this point, I usually ask you how your weekend's been. The weekend seems a million miles away because last night was what it was all about, wasn't it? It was. I waited the whole weekend just to get round to Monday night football and watch Crystal Palace Brighton. And, you know, my initial thoughts at the full-time whistle were of disappointment because we dominated the majority of the game and I think deserved the win. But... On reflection, now I've had a bit of time to think about it and, and look back. You know, if when we'd gone into the game, if we knew we would come away from Selhurst Park in the derby with a point, 
we'd probably have not been, you know, too annoyed about that. But it is just it is just tough when you've dominated the game and you feel like you've deserved to win it, to come away with a draw when we should have been going back home with all three points just really is quite frustrating. But, you know, a point at Selhurst Park isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and to be no. fair to Palace, they really came back into the game and and Zaha's goal was was a brilliant goal. So. Yeah. And that last 20 minutes, to go from not being anywhere in the game to getting some sort of foothold and making that count quite quickly because we talked about the goal coming but it had only really been been coming for what five or six minutes, hadn't it? You know that was when Palace started to put the pressure on, and they made it count quite quickly because you know you can't remember really Matt Ryan making a ton of saves or anything like that, can you? From my perspective, it was my first time properly watching Brighton with you mm. because <laughs> we, we've we've watched bits of Brighton games together before when we're but, working, yeah. yeah but but normally normally you're prepping, I'm prepping. When I watched Brighton Tottenham earlier in the season, you just sort of popped your head round the corner at BT and did a quick, oh yay, three 0 and then you <laughs> then you're off. And yeah. I was I was mainly sat next to Harry Redknapp going, oh this is terrible, <laughs> this is so terrible, <laughs> which probably you would have enjoyed even more and you would have appreciated even more than more than me. Um, but it was it was. Um, Great to, to to get that sort of sort of insight. I've I've, I've covered Palace Brighton games before, and I know how intensely they're felt. Are you like this for all Brighton's games, <laughs> or particularly for Palace Brighton? What do you, there, I don't know what you mean, Andy? What was I like? What was I like? Excitable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to be excitable. Uh, why why wouldn't you when you're when you're following your own team? Yeah, there's a lot of um, swearing when I watch football, isn't there? <laughs> Is there? <laughs> I love let's, it. Let's not, let's not let them too far behind the curtain. Come on. Well, uh, Charlie, uh, who's our producer for this, um, said to me, you know, I'm going to record some bits just so we can use them during the podcast this week. And uh, needless to say, there's not a lot he can use. <laughs> three I'm minutes sorry. out of three hours. I, I do really apologise. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I am quite passionate when I watch my team yeah. play um, and I get really into it. And yeah, I, do you know what? I think that, you know, the derby's different. This is This is the game where... When the fixtures come out, it's the first one I look for. You always yeah. look for when you're going to play your biggest rivals in the league. And and say what you want about this derby. Some people think it's not a real derby. As far as I've been alive, they've been Brighton's biggest rivals. So I don't know and any Palace different. fans would say the same. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, other football fans kind of look down on it like, oh, it's not a proper derby. How's that a derby? Barely, like, you know... Palace are in London and Brighton are down on the south coast. But well, explain explain a little bit to like listeners outside the UK who who don't get it. Why it is a rivalry and why we call it the the A23 derby? Yeah, well, the A23 connects London to Brighton. So in terms of why it's called the A23 derby, that is the road that leads from the south coast right up to London. So that's where it gets that nickname. But in terms of the rivalry, it's one of the weird ones that's really difficult to explain because it's not a simple oh they played each other in a really big game and that's why they hate each other. Like mm. that's not where the rivalry was born. It actually was born way back in history, in football history, between two managers who basically didn't like each other. And it it became the rivalry between the two managers that then developed into the rivalry between the two teams. So it's Terry Venables and Alan Mullery. And they ended up facing each other as managers. And that's kind of where the rivalry began. And then over the years, it's just developed into what it is today, which is they are the two teams that really, in terms of distance, are the closest together from, from Brighton to, to um, where Crystal Palace is, Selhurst Park, is actually our closest team. 
And also, there's there's the fact that you, you have the the main train line from Brighton, which goes through East Croydon Station. Yeah. And Croydon's a hugely palace area. Yeah. So it's a very, very strongly um, palace era. Alan Mullery, actually, I wasn't expecting to get on, on team tonight. First player ever to get sent off for England. Is he really? Yeah, about, I don't know about that. That's a good fact, isn't it? Do you know, he's a really nice man. He does a lot of um, work at, at the Amex still and, and for right. the club in terms of, um, you know, like media engagement on the day and he goes into the lounges and does a few talks and stuff. And um, yeah, he's a really, really nice bloke. So. I love how it goes from red card to nice man. People say <laughs> that about Duncan Ferguson. He's lovely. Great with kids. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's Mullery's a club legend. As long so. as you're not a centre-back, he's a lovely bloke. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, so that's really where the rivalry was born. And then obviously, in terms of the playoffs a few years ago in the championship to come oh, yeah. up to the Premier League there was you I did the covered first, one of those I did didn't the, you I did, the first, I did the first leg of that which was quite a dour nil-nil draw mm. at um, Selhurst and, and then Brighton obviously um Palace obviously won the return at the Amex. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, and that was that My was pleasure. that was Poogate that game, which we won't go into too much detail on. Just Google it. Yeah, Google it. You don't want to know from me. Um, but yeah, so um, that's the rivalry, really. And you know, the, you know, when it comes to the league, last year we did the double over Palace. So mm. coming into this game, the way we were playing, the form we're in, despite the fact that we've not got as many wins this season as I think we should have, I was pretty confident coming into the game, to be fair. I was thinking, you know, I think the way we're playing um, and because Palace have got a few injuries in their team mm. and thinking about how they would line up and how we'd line up, I was pretty confident coming into the match. And for the first hour of the game, we completely dominated them. I think first half, they didn't have a single shot. And... Neil Morpay's goal, and I have to say, we love it. New player to the club. The way he scored that goal, which was a brilliant finish into the roof of the net, and then the way he celebrated, he, he gave he gave the Palace fans the shh. Oh, it was brilliant. Loved that. Loved that. But it's, it's, it's brilliant as well, I think, for celebrating a goal as an away player at Selhurst Park. It's like when Knockhart scored that, that fantastic goal there, that... If, if you wheel away, to, if you score on the right-hand side of the penalty area as you're looking into it as an attacker, yep. it's really easy to go off and, and celebrate. Just go past them. With those, yeah. With, with those, yeah, just go past the ones in the corner mm. and then celebrate with all the away fans in the Arthur Waite stand, which is the big uh, stand on the main broadcast camera side. So basically you have the same view as you have if you're watching it on television except you normally have a post in front of you and it costs you about 40 quid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny actually, t- talk, talking of that, obviously I, I watch a lot of football at Sellers Park being a, a Wimbledon fan. Didn't enjoy most of it because it was never our place. Um, but it, it does make me think, especially when seeing you get so passionate over Palace versus Brighton, we've, we've not really got a rival at, at the moment, which is a, a strange thing. And part of it's because, you know, there was a bit of rivalry between Wimbledon and Palace when we shared a stadium because we didn't really feel that welcome and they didn't really feel like they wanted us, I suppose. Um, but since then, because I've seen Wimbledon play in how many different divisions? Probably about eight. I mean, because it's such an unusual story, the AFC Wimbledon story as yeah. well, um, that you never hang around long enough to have a rival. Like, I, I don't know, like the most local local club when we were in the Combined Counties League back in 2002 and 2003, 2004 would have been Rains Park Vale, but we always beat them like 5-0 or, or, or whatever. Um, then there was a, a bit of back and forth with Crawley when we were in the, 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 the conference. 
um, because they were they were a really moneyed club, and because Steve Evans was their manager, and he can antagonise hmm. simply anyone. Anyone, <laughs> you know, he could start an it's argument in an empty room. There's no doubt about it. And I think people from outside the club see MK Dons as as, as a rivalry. Uh, to me, it's I mean, they, you know, uh, rivalries are born historically over time rather than with clubs that you know didn't even grow organically really so I remember earlier on in the season when they played each other and, and I said to you did you watch the game and you said no I refuse to watch yeah. when they play MK Dons yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like a a proper game to me I don't want to waste my leisure football credits of, <laughs> of which I have relatively few <laughs> um on, on on a game like that I'd rather mm. like when when I see us play I know Coventry or Millwall or, you know, sort of big teams that we played in the last couple of years, and especially teams that we played in the, the Premier League, Luton, whoever else, that makes me feel excited. That makes me feel really, really excited. But this is just, uh, if, if, if Wimbledon are playing AMK, I just think, oh, it's really unpleasant. And, well, you know, what, what, would it, what would it prove? I mean, I've spoken about it before and said, you know, if, if, if they beat us 5-0, the whole football world still knows we're better than them. Mm-hmm. And if we beat them 5-0, our club still got nicked. It, it really doesn't make any difference. It doesn't boil down just to to, to one single game. But but it's interesting, going back to, to um, last night's game and going back to Brighton Palace, it was it was interesting that the the, the, the interviews we had in the, the, the flash for Sky afterwards, you had uh, Wilfred Zaha and Neil Mopay, the, 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 the two goal scorers being interviewed. And they both seemed like totally exhausted by the intensity of it. They they both looked as if they were going to nod off during yeah. during the interview. Um, especially Zaha, he looked like someone had been pushing a boulder up a hill, which which he felt like he had been for a, a lot of the evening. And it was interesting to hear him say, I thought it fed in quite nicely to what you were saying about how well Brighton have played this season, how different the players under under Potter. He just said, well, when we got the ball back, we too knackered to do anything with it like they, they couldn't get Brighton on the counter-attack because they were just tired from from chasing them mm, and, and I think that that probably was their game plan coming into this and and we kind of know that that's how Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace have played this season and that's yeah. how they've gone about winning their matches and it was so pleasing to watch for the first hour just how dominant Brighton were and that Crystal Palace literally didn't create a single chance in the first half. And it's just so annoying and irritating when you've had that much domination of a game and you haven't been able to get that second goal to just kind of kill the game off a bit. Because, you know, at at 1-0, there's always that chance they're going to get an equaliser and then they get the momentum and they can get back into it and potentially nick the game and win it, despite not having any control over the game. Whereas mm. if you just get it to 2-0 and you've got that cushion, it makes such a difference psychologically, I think, for the players on the pitch as well. And we just couldn't quite get there. And the most frustrating thing, and I know there are going to be some you get and some you don't with VAR, but the, for me, the Montoya penalty was, and I say penalty because I, I think it was, it should have been a penalty. If he's, if he's not offside, it's a pen. Yeah, there's, and he there, wasn't there's, offside. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question. Well, according to VAR, it, he wasn't offside, which is why the corner was then given and why the corner was taken by Brighton. If he was offside, then we wouldn't have got the corner. And that foul in the box is a penalty. It's I, as clear as I, day. It's a clear penalty, in my opinion, and in yours, Andy. And I yeah. don't understand why that's not been given. There's obviously this threshold that I have no idea 
what this threshold is because it's completely subjective. And if we're meant to be looking at VAR for clear and obvious errors, that is one for me. Well, that, that's, it, that's, that's the, a penalty. I thought that was the whole point of, mm. of VAR, that it's meant to remove subjectivity from, from yeah. certain decisions. But it's not done that at all because no. there is subjectivity in quite a lot of the discrepancies when it comes to VAR. And this was another one of them where clearly they didn't think that the threshold was high enough to overturn the referee on the pitch's decision. And it is what it is. You know, we're not going to completely grumble about this for the rest of the season. It's just one of those annoying moments because for me, that should have been a penalty. And what it kind of made me think about is as footballers, I don't know where they stand on how they're meant to react if they're fouled in the box. Because in my opinion, the way Montoya reacted, because he still tried to get his shot off. Well, he and did he, get his shot yeah, off. Yeah, it was a good save, off, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a good, good save, save in the end. Because he's carried on despite being fouled, he's got his shot off and then he hasn't really complained about it. He's not gone rolling around on the floor looking for a penalty. Nothing's been given. But I wonder sh- whether that's got anything to do with why it wasn't given. Because But that shouldn't make a difference no, when it, it comes to VAR, should it? No, it shouldn't. But... I feel like if Montoya made more of a meal of it and, you know, rolled around, complained, if they went over and, you know, went up to the referee and he made more of a a meal of it, would the decision have been different? Obviously, in retrospect, we don't know. Mm. We have no idea what what it would have been. But it's interesting to think about it that way because we don't like seeing players do that. But then when they do it, they often get the decision. It often looks like more of a dive when you try and stand up, though. And, and that's that's always been the way it's it's been, and that will be the way it it, it continues to, to to be really. Um, to to take your mind off that, I've got a little email to throw in here from uh, uh, Jack Hammond. Uh, it says, "Hello, Jules and Andy. I used to be a Stratford End season ticket holder at Manchester United, and after the last two wins, I'm very happy with how United have done." I guess it's written before the Everton game. Um, The main reason for my email, as I love the show, is to discuss everyone becoming a Brighton supporter for their second team. (laughs) Thanks to Jules. My second team is wherever my favourite player, Chicharito, is playing. So it's Sevilla. But after Brighton's recent win over Arsenal, where they bossed the first half, played as a team and passed around like Real Madrid, I thought I would email in to say Brighton and now my current third team. (laughs) This is like the Ballon d'Or, where you you get one point for being third team three for the first yeah. and, 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 and two for the second. I need to be on commission from the club, surely. <laughs> or at least get some free tickets to some games, please. Well, I'll tell you what, if, 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 if everyone listening who's become a Brighton supporter would chip in a pound to the AFC Wimbledon ground fund, we might make up that <laughs> 11 million in double quick time. <laughs> There's a lot of you out there. Thanks, Jack, for that. Um, I wanted to ask you as, as, as well on Brighton. Um that, that, that midfield is really, really good, isn't it? That, they seem to have found a, a, a proper balance there. Proper. What's, what's, hey, <laughs> that would be a proper balance. <laughs> what, what's interesting, I think, when we're talking about the Potter effect, is the main players, of course, Mopai has been big, but the main core of players who are doing so well for them are players who were already there. Mm. And that says a lot for, for Potter's, not just... His coaching. Management of yeah. his squad, but his coaching, exactly. Mm, yeah, I think that, you know, we we missed Dale Stevens last night. Obviously, he, he didn't play the match, but him and Davy Proper, since they've been playing together, they've 
they've they formed a really really strong partnership in Brighton's midfield and it's and it's really good to see and this year it's kicked on even further because last season they played they played really well together but it's improved and i think the one thing that Brighton fans looking on at the team would hope for is that we can get more goals out of our midfield more goals out of Dale Stevens more goals out of Davy Proper and i feel like that's that has improved you know they're still not plenty of goals from them but they've got a job to do in midfield and they're doing it and they're doing it really well but what's also been added to that is we've got Aaron Moy in the team as well now and he has been so impressive particularly the last three four matches he's been outstanding for us and he had another really good game last night a lot of fans are calling for January for him to be signed permanently that's Mm. a deal that I think a lot of us fans would would like to see, to see done because he's on loan from Huddersfield at the moment and he seems to be really enjoying his football down at Brighton. I mean, he's got the Aussie connection with Matty Ryan in goal and he just seems to be loving what's happening on the pitch and all what? the players do, to be fair, but he's really fit into this side well and he just adds that strength and also that creativity that I think just adds another dimension to our squad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for us to look at footballers and you know, going back to John Gregory talking about Stan Collymore all those those years ago, I think it's easy to look at footballers and think you know they they have a they have a great life, they have, they have an easy life, that they earn great money. Of course, they do earn great money for doing something they love, but I, I think you do see that with Aaron Moy, the, the, the sense that the shackles are off a little bit, as you say, because however good a player you are, however nicely you're being paid, getting beaten week after week after week is a bloody miserable experience. And they're all such incredible competitors as well. I think that's sometimes missed to, to actually get to the point of being a professional footballer, never mind being um, a, a Premier League footballer. You're not someone who's the best player in your school. You're more than that. You've been, you know, the best or one of the best players in your area. And it's a combination of talent and working like there's no tomorrow. And, you know, to, to to have that competitive edge and then be put in a situation where, you know, people admire you, people respect what you're doing, but at the same time, you go home and, you know, you say to your family, oh, yeah, we lost again today. Yeah, there's nothing enjoyable out, about no, that, is that, there? That's, that, that's not fun. No. So I think not just the football, but the, the fact that he's in a sort of positive dynamic, he's in a team where, you know, they're competitive in the Premier League, you know, they can go and play at places like, um, Palace and Arsenal and and give those teams a, a good game and and that feeling I think that assuming that he's in it for the long haul at Brighton that yeah I'll be in the Premier League again next year yeah definitely that's nice yeah 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 I mean I mean when you talk about a player playing in teams and and you know you're just not winning and how unenjoyable that is I've got a lot of mates that play at non-league level and mm. I just know from speaking to them that no matter what level you play at you want to be in a team that's playing good football and that's winning. And I don't think that changes whether you're in non-league, Sunday league, whether you, you play in the Championship or the Premier League. Whatever level you play at, you want to be in a, in a, in a team that plays good football and wins matches because there's nothing more enjoyable than that. And, you know, we're absolutely blessed to have Aaron Moy at Brighton. I think mm. he's been an amazing addition to the squad. I just hope that in January we can make that deal permanent because that would be a brilliant, brilliant signing in January. And I don't know whether, 
you know, Graham Potter has any plans to strengthen in January with other players. But I think that's one deal that we would love to see being made done. And and he's so instrumental to what Huddersfield were doing last year. They missed him so much. He was out injured for quite a while, wasn't he, last yeah. season? And, um, and that was probably a big part of why Huddersfield ended up where they were, because... They really did miss him. And and now that he's been in the side, I remember when we signed him, I was a bit like, I didn't see that one coming, if you know what I mean. You know, sometimes you no. you know that there are certain players that your club are after. That's not one that I thought, oh yeah, like we should go for him. It's just not a signing that I was expecting. But my God, has he taken me by surprise and has just been so good for us, as, as I said, particularly the last few matches. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed for January. That's one deal that we get over the line. And and the, the draw against Palace last night puts us, you know, we're, we're in a decent position in the table, 20 points, and we're not even halfway through the season yet. I think is I think that's decent for us. I think it's unfortunate, really, that we haven't picked up more points because we've, in terms of the performances and the level of performance I think we've deserved more than 20 points this season there are particular matches that I can pick out that I think we definitely deserve to come away with wins from so to be where we are it's I think a good position but I think it could have been better and and the draw for Crystal Palace takes them above Arsenal into ninth I mean wow wow for Arsenal well I, I remember in the late 80s early 90s when Palace were in the in the in the top flight intermittently they felt like that we're talking about rivalries they felt a lot of their fans as if they had a big rivalry with Arsenal now Arsenal fans never saw it that way again I think it was part of the a lot of them being peeved about Ian Wright being signed by Arsenal of course. Uh, by yeah. George Graham at the uh, uh, at the time but for those Palace fans who still feel that well it's a great week for them <laughs> isn't it but anyway roll on uh, the weekend of Saturday 29th of February yeah you don't get those too often do you 29th of February um, when um, Brighton pay Palace in the return maybe oh. we'll we'll get ourselves down there yeah we need to do that because we tried our best didn't we to go last night to the game but it was so impossible because there's such a small amount of away tickets and I thought I can't be going to the home home end can I no <laughs> I wouldn't be able to sit on my hands that now you've seen the way I am when I watch Crystal Palace against Brighton there's no way I would have been able to sit in the home end at Centre Park, is there? <laughs> Does it feel like you scored more against yeah. Brighton than any other? Yeah, you know, it's got a really good record against us, and he always scores against us, so it's always a lovely If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. You can always get in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble on Twitter, or email Jules and Andy at Football Ramble Daily. So we wanted to have a bit of a chat about the way that football media could potentially be changing in the future and how we as viewers and football fans will end up consuming football in terms of TV in the future. And uh, the reason we wanted to discuss this is because there's a brilliant article in The Athletic written by Adam Crafton. Uh, The subject of it is, with audiences falling and attention spans shortening, is it time for football to change? And he's talking about football changing in the sense of how broadcasters televise football. Uh, Now, I'm going to read you out a little bit of this so that you can see where we're going with it. So he says, during the 2018-19 season, the live match audience for Champions League football dropped from an average of 2 billion during the previous three-year cycle to 1.3 billion in the last campaign. In a single year, the Champions League experienced a traditional televised audience fall of 35% and the Europa League also experienced a 17% drop. Now, he continues in the article and says, we now have a challenge. We're living in the age of choice and gone are the days when the match on Saturday played in the local stadium stadium is the main source of attraction. There are a plethora of platforms and markets to find and we're in danger of losing fans if they're not captured at an early age. I find this really interesting because in the day and age that we live in now where everyone consumes entertainment so differently, it's not just football, it's yes. entertainment full stop, where we're always on our phones. We were, I mean, I use my phone pretty much for everything. I use my phone like a mini laptop. Yeah. It, it's literally what I do everything on other than when I'm Pay for stuff, much, plane tickets. Yeah, yeah. When I'm watching football on the telly pretty much is one of the only things that I actually don't use my phone for. And sometimes I even use it for that if I'm out mm. and about and, you know, want to want to get my Sky Go on the, on, on the app and, and watch a game while I'm out and about. But the way we consume media now is so different to even five years ago, Andy. And I wonder whether it will bring about a bit of a change in the way that broadcasters and other channels produce stuff. I think the smartest channels and the smartest broadcasters have already started to respond to this. I mean, Adam says quite rightly, in a single year, therefore, the Champions League experienced a traditional television audience fall of 35%. But that's a traditional television audience. We're talking about people sitting down in front of their, their telly. And, you know, we've already had this experience to a a, a certain degree. The fact that there is this 
disconnect between different age strata of the audience, haven't we? Because when you had um, 11 sports coming in and having the Italian football and and, and the Spanish football at at the beginning uh, last season, um, you know, you'd have people of a, a certain age complaining that well it's not on a proper channel mm-hmm. you know we can only we can only see it on the laptop or we can only see it on the ipad personally personally i find watching stuff on the ipad quite comfortable i i, I, don't, yeah, I don't mind it i don't find it significantly mm. worse to, to 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 watching on a, on a on a television for example i prefer it on the tv but i'm happy to watch it on a laptop or an ipad exactly and yeah. you know you know what i think there are ways around it for a, a bigger game i, I mean I, I remember i think i mentioned to you what a while back for my son's birthday a couple of years ago uh, we bought like a cheap projector uh, to, to have a, a movie night and you just like plug the computer into it put it on a white wall and away you go it's, it's kind of like watching like that movie or, or, or football in this case in the pub, yeah. really, uh, it's 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 quite it's quite good, and it, you know, it's, it's a cheap solution. It's really really easy solution, and so if there's a big game and we all want to watch it at home, we'll plug the computer into the projector and and stick it on the wall. And you know that's not like an elite choice. Like I said, we we bought it for like fifty quid, and mm-hmm. you know it will, it will last for ages because we 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 only use it fairly infrequently. So I think. That would be a, a different way of people doing it. If you get all your mates around to to do that, you know, you can have this kind of like big match in the pub experience at far less cost to yourself. And I think that that is the issue at the moment. That is the big issue when we're talking about changing habits of of watching football on television is the cost. Because at the moment, it's fragmented. And we spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we, with Sky, with BT, with Amazon, with Premier Sports. But I think as streaming capabilities become the equal of normal television, internet becomes more reliable, hopefully, God willing. Um, eventually, I, I think what what's happening with, with Amazon, you will get to a point where if people can buy individual matches or people do have a greater choice, eventually the consumer will win. We're in a bit of a halfway house at the moment where... If you want to watch everything, it's pretty horrendous, and you've got to pay for everything. But I don't think that will that will last forever. The other thing as well, when we talk about that traditional television audience, like I said, the smarter companies I think have reacted to it as well. And, and you do look at BT, and you know, of course, you you work for BT every week. I, I work for BT now and then, so vested interest and all that but um the no filter ucl stuff has been a massive hit and yeah and i I know you know it's it's a totally different way of they're not just trying to bring the match into your front room they're trying to bring the whole experience into your front room because that's what you that's what you always think of i i think if you take it right back to the beginning and you think of why did i love football in the first place it's when you make that walk down to the ground it's when you pass um, the, the the smells of the food and you know the the all, all the, the noises from the club the shop and the all that and sort of all stuff. That stuff yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly and the, the seeing the, all the, the knockoff shirts yeah the knockoff <laughs> shirts that's that's what it's all about that's what Italy does better than anywhere <laughs> any, anywhere else it really does San Siro that's the one all of that, that and and they're able to bring that into your front room because I think it's something that I thought of when we were making out the match on Stakhanov that the fact that you've you've got to realise that we're lucky we get to go to all these places. We get to go to all these stadiums as part of our work. 
But there's a lot of people out there who for geographical reasons, for financial reasons, they'll, they're not able to do that. So I think to, to understand that the experience is not just what happens on the pitch in those 90 minutes that is so much more. And it's something that the Bundesliga has talked about quite a lot because they would see one of their, their key tenets as the atmosphere, as, as the match day experience. So how do you bring that to people in other countries who aren't able to go? There's something that um, we talked about BT, something that Bleacher Report have worked on quite well in the States. And, you know, they get pundits from different perspectives. Uh, they, they've got Steve Nash, uh, the former um, NBA MVP. He's, he's been involved and a massive football fan. He comes from um, a, a British family. So he's been massively into football since, since he was a kid and growing up in Canada and all the rest of it, even though he succeeded in, in basketball. So I, th- I think there are these companies who realize that now it is consumed in a completely different way. And there's people are smart. The consumer's not just passive consumer you know they're, they're not just sat there on their sofa and the football's happening mm. they're, they're, in the background they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're happy to like pick up their phone or pick up their ipad and and search stuff out whether that be a favorite player or a favorite team or or, or whatever because you know another thing that adam focuses on in his article is the fact that there's a feeling that more people are interested in following individual players it's a bit like what jack said about following chicharita for example mm-hmm. before in his in his email isn't it yeah it is and and in adam's article as well one of the things he, he points out is that in terms of that traditional consumption of football media i.e watching it on the telly mm. we've kind of moved on from that a bit now where that's not all we want or if you miss it there are other ways where you can obtain watching it like you've mentioned with no filter that bt sport do which obviously goes online mm. I think that in Adam's article, he points out that, for example, the Manchester derby got a couple million, however many it was, views on the TV. But within the space of a week, the amount of views that a highlights video that was, say, three minutes long on YouTube or wherever it was online, got triple the amount of viewers in the space of less than a week. And I think that that Mm. is definitely a way that that the way we consume football is changing. And Optus Sport, who are the Australian rights holders of the Premier League and the Champions League, who I work for regularly, they I think the way that they, they've they kind of formatted their business is absolutely brilliant because they've catered to every different type of football fan. So mm. uh, if you don't know who Optus Sport are, they're, they're essentially like the equivalent of BT Sport, but in Australia. But they've got the full Premier League rights and the full Champions League rights. So everything gets shown on their channel. They ha- They are a traditional TV channel, but they are also an app. And on their app, what they have for each match that gets shown, so they'll show the match live on the telly and they'll have the live replay of the game on the app. But then they'll also have a mini match on there as well, which will be, say, 20 minutes long, for example. Okay. And then they'll also have a highlights package, which is three minutes long, which will essentially just be the goals and the best chances. Whereas... BT do something similar. very similar to that. Very similar. And so in following that model, what they've found is that a lot of people are watching the mini matches, which are the kind of 20 minute long ones. So they want... Maybe they don't necessarily have the time to watch the full match, but they want more than just the highlights. So then they watch, say, the 20-minute upload. And it could be potentially due to the time difference, the time that the football's on in Mm. Australia is the middle of the night. So maybe for them, they prefer to consume that just that kind of 20-minute package. But I do think that that's really interesting and that's a different way that people are now 
watching football because I'm sure they, you know, they probably have the figures on what how many watch each video. But I think as a football fan, like I would want to watch Crystal Palace against Brighton in full because that's my team playing. Yes. But actually, maybe with some of the other games from the weekend, I'd be happy to just watch a 20 minute highlights video, if that makes sense. I'd, I'd take less for Wimbledon <laughs> if they've lost. <laughs> But it is it, minute and a half would be fine. <laughs> Thanks. It's one of those things, and and yeah, I do think that the the more that we kind of carry on in this you know modern day age where everything we do is online, and you know we're consuming a lot on tablets and our phones, having those kind of quicker videos to watch is is more what it kind of keeps us up to date with this sort of fast paced lifestyle, doesn't it? Um, also with with the recent Amazon um service that was offered. Um, in December and obviously there's Boxing Day games coming up on Amazon as well I was slightly worried that with Amazon streaming every game live that it would affect the attendances in the stadiums and one of the things that I was actually really pleased to see is that it didn't at all really from, mm. from, from the games that I saw I was actually at Selhurst Park for the Crystal Palace Bournemouth game on the first night of Amazon's three days worth of streaming just before Black Friday and yeah I, and you know I didn't notice that there was any difference in attendance it seemed pretty full at Selhurst Park to me so um, I was quite pleased to see that and hopefully it'll be the same on Boxing Day and the good thing is is that because of the three o'clock blackout that we have in the UK, it's never going to be a case where every single game will be streamed live on TV. So you not, not for the foreseeable. Not no. for the foreseeable. So, I mean, hopefully it doesn't affect attendances, but I can't see. I feel like when it comes to comes to to broadcasting football, you can't change it too much because as viewers, the simpler the better when it comes to football. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, I know it'd be interesting to see how it works. And as as you say, full stadiums are absolutely integral because just as people will say football needs TV, TV needs the stands to be full. It, it, it looks terrible if, if the stands aren't full. And you need that feeling of the, you know, the, the, the very the very best matches in the very fullest stadiums or the, the biggest occasions in the, in, in the fullest stadiums. You need that feeling of the noise like leaping out of the, the television at you, don't you? It's very special. Yeah, and I remember when I went to the Napoli-Liverpool game, the first game in the group stages of the Champions League, and um, you'll know better than me, Andy, because that, that was my first visit there, mm. that they don't allow any fans in the bottom tier. So it looks empty when there's 40,000 people in there. It looks empty yeah. on the TV. And I, I had like my mates messaging me and I, because I, I was tweeting saying, like, oh, it's absolute brilliant atmosphere. And it was amazing. Mm. Like, it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was a really good atmosphere in the stadium. And then they were all messaging me going, what? Like, there's no one there. What are you on about? And it was like, that's obviously not translating through the TV screens because you can't see the. The fans, yeah. which is crazy because obviously you could hear them, but because you just can't see them, people just assumed that there was no one there. It's, it's funny because the, the, the thing that I used to love so much about watching football on TV when I first watching TV, there's nothing better than seeing a team attacking their home end and scoring mm, up it yeah. because you can see all the people going crazy behind the back of the stadium. And yeah. fun, funnily enough, the thing that works so well for for Italy and that, that I remember from watching Italian football as, as a kid, I, I used to get these um, these videos of uh, Serie A from 
a, a shop called Soccer Scene on Carnaby Street in in, in London. This was before Serie A was on, on on Channel Four, and the thing that I used to love in the days of um, Maradona and Careca and Van Basten and Hullet and Aldo Serena. I used to love the fact that when they scored, because you had these massive running tracks mm-hmm. around the Italian stadiums, yeah. how they'd all go off on this, like, you know, mini tour of the stadium <laughs> almost after they scored. They'd go off, uh, Maradona would get buried under 20 ball boys and the subs. And the, the fact that people like, really wigged out, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. But what really worked for Italian football then, because you wouldn't have been able to do that without the running track, doesn't work now. Because the fact is that it's not just because the Premier League and its viewing experience and um, the the intensity of it, and part of that is the fact that the, the the stands are so close to the pitch, that has become almost best practice all over the world. You know, you looked at um, last weekend when uh, Real Sociedad played Barcelona; they've totally changed that ground. The Anoeta used to have a a running track around it, and they've gradually like brought the stands in and got rid of it. And it's made an enormous difference to, to the vibe in the stadium. So I think the desire all over the world is to, is, is, is to have that feeling of, of closeness and intensity. And I think that's just as important when you watch it on television as it is when you're in the stadium. We've got a bit of correspondence, um, some of it linking back to um, last week, and um, you've been very generous in getting in touch with you, and, uh, getting in touch with us, and sharing your thoughts as always. Um, wanted to read a few of them out. There's one here from um, uh, Samuel Dixon here saying, "Hi, Jules and Andy. As a Wimbledon fan, uh, the last few weeks have been a pretty torrid time. You're telling me uh, with the proposal of a potential sale of 30% of the club. I was wondering your thoughts on what the situation is and your hopes for the future of Wimbledon and Plough Lane. Um, we'll come back to that in a minute, but." There's a topic as well that Samuel talks about, which quite a few of you have touched on. Also wanted to comment um, on a major topic of discussion on the uh, the most recent episode. I think the Rainbow Laces campaign has been a pretty decent success so far, but recent events have shown that there's a huge way to go. It was only a few years ago that I was bullied off my secondary school team as a result of my sexuality and that kind of behaviour feels like a constant in the terrace and ramps up whenever these campaigns come about each year he also says he really loves the podcast well thanks Samuel Um, there's there's one um, from uh, Ali White as well um, who starts with good day even though he's from New Zealand ah Um, uh, he recently visited the UK and attended the Brighton Pride Parade it's safe to say it was one of the highlights of my six month trip the people the colours the atmosphere was incredible Mm -hmm. um I, I'm a massive gooner and I don't get to see my Arsenal play live all that often. Usually I'm up at 3am to watch them on the telly. There you go, that global there you reach. Go, there we go. Um, I went with a friend from New Zealand who'd been living in the UK for a few years. We wanted to take a photo, so I held my phone out to get a so- selfie and a few guys behind us jeered and asked if we were from Brighton and made other homophobic remarks. The remarks weren't aggressive and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure they were even meant in jest, but even this casual homophobia has no place in football. And I think this is a huge reason we don't have any out footballers in the EPL. Um, There's also um, one from uh, Declan Lancaster that I wanted to get to. Um, Hello, Jules and Andy. I love your guys' show since it's been a refreshing take on a wonderful sport. I just wanted to comment on your guys' refreshing discussion on LGBT players in men's football. It's sad to hear that both of you know players who are gay and are uncomfortable to come out, even though 2020 is just around the corner. Coming from a working-class background in the northwest of England, I, however, would also not be comfortable with coming out if I was an LGBT player in professional football. I feel as if uh, as though it's not the individual player's responsibility, but that of top-flight leagues 
to realise modern points of view. Mm, who was that last one from? Uh, from Declan. Declan, thanks Yurima. Thanks everyone for, for getting in touch. Obviously, we do try and um, have as many discussions as we can on what we consider really important subjects. And um, I think that they've all made some really good points there, haven't they, Andy? Because, yeah. you know, it's what we discussed last week that, you know, we personally know people that are, you know, in football that aren't comfortable coming out and and it's it's really it's really sad to hear that but at the same time i think you made a really good point last week didn't you andy about you know they shouldn't feel like they have to because it's up to them if they want to come out or not they shouldn't feel like they have to be this yeah, kind of trailblazer that's, that's what declan yeah. says isn't yeah. it i mean it's, it's it's their life it's not mm. you know it's not a soap opera is it yeah you know people have right to their actual lives don't they exactly exactly well, keep getting in touch with us, Jules and Andy, at footballrambledaily.com if you want to send us in an email. We'll be back next week for the last episode before Christmas. And you'll have calmed down by then, won't you? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fine now. <laughs> I'm over it. We've got Sheffield United to look forward to at the weekend. You see, I'm, I'm not even going to go back to Samuel's point about the, the, the current about Wimbledon. A- a- AFC Wimbledon funding crisis because <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think we can have two of us on the edge in the studio at the same time. Rest assured, Samuel, I'll come back to it. We haven't heard the last of this story. Work in progress. Join me and Jonathan Wilson every Saturday on Football Ramble Daily for new episodes of Greatest Games in association with The Blizzard magazine. The best of The Blizzard is available now. A perfect Christmas gift? I think so. 23 of our favourite pieces from the first five years of The Blizzard for you, friends and loved ones. Everything from Socrates and Scotland to St. Pauli and football smoking culture. Head to the shop now to buy the best of The Blizzard at theblizzard.co.uk. This was a Stakhanov production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.